Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Road to growth listeners, today I have Bill Flynn. He is a coach and an author. Thank you, Bill, for being here. Looking forward to it. All right, now... I'm going to pull the curtains back a little bit so you guys know what we deal with. I sent everyone a link because we're going everything digital, just like everyone else out there. And Bill had a little hiccup of clicking the link, yet his tenacity to get on here overcame it, just like any entrepreneur does. <laughs> and he copied and pasted it, and it worked out. That's yep. Got to find another way. There's more, always more than one way to solve a problem, right? Exactly. Right. I mean, it's just the, the way of looking at with, with, with everything. It's like, okay, this is not working. Let's find another way to make it work. And you've been coaching and you've done the corporate world for a variety of, of years. Right. Yep. And I'm assuming that's probably one of the biggest things is finding out a way to get something done, get the job done. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you have to uh, also make your own way. There's no, there's been no road put in front of you. You have to make your own road often. Growing up, where did where did Bill where did Bill grow up? Uh, I grew up in the northeast part of Massachusetts, right on the New Hampshire border, in a town called Methuen, Massachusetts. Kind of a blue collar town. I, you know, my dad was a pipe fitter, mom was a teacher, played hockey, and very a very um, white uh, middle income kind of existence. <laughs> did you have kind of a, a coaching mindset back then? I mean, I, your your mom was a teacher. Did you have that kind of thing of helping people out or? Um, that's a really good question. I don't think I did. Um, I'd have to really reflect on that. Um, I, I got it as I went. Uh, as I became a leader and, and more often was leading groups, my uh, the folks that I worked with, either that were my peers or the folks that worked um, uh, with me on my team, said that I had a Socratic sort of approach. You know, as I was about asking a lot of questions, which is very coach-like. So I think I eventually adopted it. Whether it was always in me, I don't know, but I definitely, probably from my early 30s on, I had more of that approach. Was it a, a obnoxious way of asking questions or a way of <laughs> <coming from> curiosity? <laughs> well, <laughs> you'll have to ask the other people <laughs> if it was obnoxious or not. Um, I'll tell you, it doesn't work as well when you're dating. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, the other, the other person doesn't like to feel like they're being interviewed, but it's, it's very, it's a very natural way. I'm, I'm a, I'm a highly curious person. I love to understand what your origin was and, and where you came from. And I love that kind of stuff. So yes, it's a definitely, it stems from curiosity. Well, I think there's, I mean, for, for people listening out there, there's definitely two ways of asking a question where it's, you're grilling a person, but also understanding where they're coming from giving some feedback on it, asking another question. It, it, it just feels different, I think. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I was um, I was helping someone last night uh, with her business a little bit, and we were just talking it through. And uh, and then she mentioned that. She says, you know, the way that you – she was really nervous um, to have me do it. And when we were done, she, she was like, she just sort of relaxed. She's like, I, I love the way you ask your questions. They sort of just stem from our conversation. So you really have to listen to the person and and uh, and watch them to see what's interesting to them, and uh, as opposed to sort of surveying them, right? It's sort of going through a set of questions which are stilted and difficult and and choppy. Um, so 
Uh, I'm much better at it now. I I think I learned how to do customer discovery questions, which I don't know if some of your listeners may not know what that is, but it's it's basically, to be honest with you, it's a way of interrogating a, cu a customer uh, and, and interrogating in a good way because you're trying to have them reveal things that they might not even know that they know, like like an FBI agent, right? Is, you know, is, is they know, they know certain techniques to have you remember. So for instance, you know, they'll say, where were you? What, what, what were the smells? What were you wearing? Cause those things stimulate your brain and help you to remember stuff. And that's really sort of techniques of interrogations to help people pull stuff out. And that's, that's always been sort of my approach, uh, or shouldn't always. And, and since, since I've been doing this, um, uh, that's been my approach and I've been doing customer discovery. I've done hundreds and hundreds of customer discovery interviews. And so I've gotten better and better at it. And I think it's spilled over into my coaching and even into my life a little bit. My daughter doesn't like it very much sometimes, but what are you going to do? Where did you uh, uh, find that technique originally? Uh, through um, uh, Steve Blank. Uh, if your listeners are familiar, Steve Blank is considered the godfather of startups. He's done eight startups in his career. He's now a professor and has been a professor for many years at UC Berkeley. Uh, he's written a number of books. Uh, I highly recommend that you do not read his books. Uh, he writes like a professor. Uh, and if any of you have read professors' books, they're long, they're boring, they go into way too much detail. But he is a blast to listen to. So get on YouTube, type in Steve Blank. And um, he sort of uh, pioneered this thing called this customer discovery, where you're really trying to understand um, if there's a problem to be solved, right? And, and, and is your constituent really trying to solve this problem? As opposed to what most entrepreneurs and most startup entrepreneurs do, is they have an idea and then they try to convince you why their idea is so great. Mm. Instead of going at the problem and saying, hey, you know, are you even having this problem? And if you are, then how have you been solving it? And, and how is that working? And what's working for you? What's not? How, how much time and energy expenses, you know, et cetera. And you learn all these things and you'll find that there's a problem. And, and I think a great example is Waze. I think most people know what Waze is. Um, and, and for those of you who don't, Waze is a GPS model that uses accelerometers and gyroscopes that are in your phone and, and, so, and social to help give information in real time to know where the traffic is. Um, now, Google uh, did a better map than MapQuest a long time ago, and then they added this process for traffic, but it was always delayed. It wasn't working. I used to use it all the time because I'm, driving into Boston is not an easy thing to do in the morning. Um, but they weren't really figuring out the job that people hire a map to do. And one of the jobs, especially someone like me who, who wants to go into work in the morning or, or get somewhere, hires a map to get from point A to point B on time. So Waze didn't say, how do I make a better map? They said, how do I create a solution that solves this problem? And so they, they looked at the technology and they came out with Waze. And I think it was five years. They've been working on it for five years. And they didn't have many customers. I think they had a few million dollars in revenue. And then Google who had a way better map, bought them for well over a billion dollars because they solved the problem in a better way, right? Um, and I think if you, if you really think about really understanding the job that people hire things, you know, things to do for them, then you'll, you'll understand how to solve the problem because we don't solve a problem as fully as we could. And I don't think Waze has fully solved the problem. You know, I think there's going to be sort of this spot hero Waze thing that happens maybe when there's technology out there Suppose it's going to be nanotechnology you can put into into asphalt and things where you can sense when the spot is open and it will get that information and say, oh, you know, drive around the block, you know, when a quarter someone just left, and you can get us, you can go there. Or this parking garage now has spots open or whatever. I think eventually there'll be ways for cities, which will solve 
maybe the whole problem or at least certainly a lot more of the problem because I go into Boston and I got to tell you, I'm really cheap and I don't like to pay 40 bucks to go to lunch because usually the parking is more expensive than the lunch when you go to, into Boston. Uh, so I'll drive around, I'll go in early and drive around for 15, 20 minutes just to try to find a spot. <laughs> it's not easy to do. Well, going back to go back to your idea, I mean, it, it really is. It, it I think the easiest way to probably to lay it out is there's leading questions and there's basically curious questions, right? I yeah. Mean, if if I'm truly trying to get an honest answer from you, I can leave it very simple. Why? Right, and then it, it allows yeah. you to basically come with it. Go. Why do you feel this, this, and this? Is it because of this, this, and this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I'm leading you to the whole conversation where you might not not have taken it. Yeah, and that's called anchoring, right? It, it, even if you're not leading them, as soon as you say something to them that, that anchors them, it's hard for them to think of something else, right? It's the old joke, which is, hey, Vinny, Vinny, uh, you know, try not to think of a white polar bear. And you can't but help think of a white polar bear because that's just the way our brain works, right? It focuses on the thing. Uh, there are actually, there, there's three types of questions. There's the ones, the ones that you said, right? And then there's another one which, I, which is called an ice cream question, mm. meaning it, it tastes good and it feels good, but it has no value. Uh, and we ask a lot of ice cream questions, right? And you don't want to ask those, but you want, and you want to ask the type of questions uh, that you mentioned. Um, why is, you want to understand why, but why as a word has a stigma to it. Uh, why uh, uh, sort of stands people up and, and they feel sort of challenged. And uh, so I, I actually talk to my clients all the time. And I say, do this with people, but try to never ask, use the word why. You can say, how did you come to that? There's a pyramid, right? Where it's, uh, what is it? Why, how, who, right? Isn't that? Why, how, like what? A... Why, how, what, who, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, and it's really hard because why is super simple. And you really want to know the question. You really want to know why. But for some reason, we don't like why because now you have to, I have to justify myself. And I just sort of feel like I'm on defense. And you don't want them on defense. You want them relaxed and sharing information. And the last thing I'll, I'll add is, the emotional words that they say are the most important words uh, that I learned in customer discovery. So when someone says I'm frustrated or pissed off or I'm excited or was overjoyed, I always bring them back to that. I'll let them finish whatever they're saying. Then I'll say, hey, you know, a minute ago, you said that you were frustrated. Tell me more about that. You know, and you go back to the, where, when were you frustrated? What was going on? Was there someone with you? And you sort of do that interrogation technique. And th that actually stirs things up and that's where the gold is, because because we make decisions on an emotional basis. We don't make decisions logically. Our brain lights up. The parts of our brain light up called the limbic system or the limbic areas of our brain light up first when we make a decision. So it's an emotional thing. And actually, there have been studies when people don't have that part of their brain, either through disease or through some other thing or lobotomy, they can't make decisions. The, when, when the emotional part of the brain is removed or, or is not functioning, people literally cannot decide, even like what clothes to put on or what should I use a pen or a pencil? So the emotional part of our, our, our brain works really well in decisions. So that's what you want to focus on. And I've done that. And that what works wonders. You learn so many things as do they, when you, when you focus on the emotion part. Go, going back to, to your journey. So when you got out of high school, did you go to college or strictly into the, the workforce or what did you, yeah, what no, did you I, Actually, I was a college athlete. I went to college to play hockey, uh, so okay. I played hockey uh, and tennis, believe it or not, which are not really two sports most people play together, but I did both. Uh, and uh, so I did, I did four years of college. And then uh, during college, I worked all through college. I had a full-time job through college um, and played sports. So I was a pretty busy guy. And then um, I started doing 
high tech because I had a family member who was um, a, uh, a VC and he introduced me to a whole bunch of people and I just sort of fell into high tech and I really liked it. I fell into sales, which I, I enjoyed, but I'm really not a sales guy. Uh, I'm more of a marketing guy, but it was a job I got and I did sales for a long time. Um, so that was sort of my sort of my road. And I did 10 startups from 20, I think I was 27, 25, 26 or 27 through 50. I did 10 different startups over that time. So you're, you said it was an uncle or it was a family friend? It was a VC? We called him my uncle. He was my mother's cousin, but he was so close. We just called him our uncle. So he was a venture capitalist. What kind of advice would, did he give you? Because, I mean, he deals with a lot of startups. I mean, I think for yeah. most VCs, they talk to like, what, 100 people or 1,000 people and only give yeah, me one. Yeah. yeah, so. You know, he didn't really give me a lot of advice. He just, he just sort of uh, introduced me to people and said, you know, hey, here's an opportunity for you to learn. Uh, and you might like this. Uh, I didn't, he told me a lot of stories. He was pretty well connected. He would, he would, you know, he's had dinner with Bill Gates and, you know, he's been in high techs since seventies now he's been in high tech since, you know, high tech was a thing. Um, so he would just tell me all these really cool stories, but I, I can't really say he's ever really given me advice, which was really interesting. He just made the connections and got out of the way, which was really cool. Do you recall your first startup that you uh, worked on? Yeah, it was the precursor to Siri. It's a speech okay. recognition company called Dragon Systems. So did you, I know you had the background technology. Did you build the actual platform? No. Okay. No, no. I was always, I, I'm the guy who, who comes in to help you scale the thing. Okay. Uh, the only business I've ever started on my own is this one. And it's a business of one human being. And there's, I don't want anyone working for me. If I, if I can help it, I don't want anyone reporting to me. How did you find the different startups then? If they're if if you weren't the original founder, I guess, right? Yeah. How would you come in across these opportunities that were right for you to to jump in and help build them up? Yeah. So the first one, I had a friend that I worked with earlier who worked at Dragon, and and she introduced me to the head of sales, and we hit it off. She actually had my same last name, which was kind of cool. Um, and then one of the guys that that came in there. I became very fast friends with him and he went on to the first um, e-commerce company in you know, 1995. I worked in e-commerce, you know, so it was pretty early on. The World Wide Web was born months before. Yeah. Uh, and then what happened was I, I you know, either got lucky and or was good and I, uh, we, we were successful there. And then the VCs said, okay, you three or four, go do it again. And we did it four times together. Okay. Uh, so I just got a reputation. Uh, which was which was really helpful because my I was five for six. Uh, my first six startups were either an IPO of two of them were over a billion dollars, or a, or a sale of several hundred million dollars. Which five for six is like unheard of. That's an eighty five percent hit rate for startups. So it just just doesn't happen. It's about ten percent is what you should expect. So you originally got in there that just by um, relationship of kind of friend yeah. of friend and got the. Yeah. I mean, I, I performed, right? I generally was yeah. good at what I did and, and, uh, and, and made connections and yeah. So, so once, once I got in, it was a lot easier. It's sort of like being in the national honor society. Like once you get in, it's hard to, you have to really screw up to get out. And that's what happened was, you know, we did pretty well. And then, you know, we, we got asked to do it a bunch of times. Now the last four were, were terrible. Uh, they were, they were normal, right? They didn't either went out of business or I got fired or I left them or whatever. So uh, it, 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 I ended up being five for 10 or five for seven, depending on 
how you rate my my contribution to it. But still, it's still pretty good. Fifty percent is still pretty good. Do you, do you have you always been a uh, extrovert or? Yeah, I'm not an extrovert. Oh, you're not. Okay. <laughs> you, you, yeah. So I, I just love this kind of stuff. So I'm I actually skew a little introvert. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so after we do this, like when we're done and I look like I'm really energy is I'm going to go sit down for a minute and relax because I got to get my energy back. Um, so, so how does that, how does that work? Cause I mean, I, I know for myself, it, it I mean, and I, I do this podcast, I'm out there and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Networking. I can't stand networking events. Yeah. And so, either. okay. So you don't, you don't do that. So it's just basically one-on-one -on -one or a couple of yeah. friends. Well, so I like, I like talking to other people and learning about them. So I like that part of networking, which is actually really good because most people, when they go to networking, they feel like they have to tell their story. And I'll tell you, trick is don't talk about yourself at all. Be really interested in the other person. And you'd be surprised at how happy they are. They'll, they'll remember the conversation as a wonderful thing, even though you didn't say anything about yourself, but they still might remember you, which is what you want. Um, and but But at the end, like it's a two hour event, at the end of the two hours, I want to leave, and I go home, and you know, I and I basically go to bed. I take a shower, and go to bed, or whatever. I have another friend who, if I did it with, he's his thing at the end of the two hours is where are we going next? He wants to go to the next bar and keep talking, and he's like full of energy, and I'm totally drained. So we always take separate cars when we do that, because I go home and he keeps going out. Um, have you ever? I know you've done a lot of uh, uh, training yourself. Have you ever mm -hmm. done NLP? I have done it. I know NLP. Yes, I'm a neuroscience geek, uh, so okay. I understand. Uh, I'm not a fan. Oh, you're not a fan. I'm not a fan. What, what's what do you, what's your take on it? Uh, NLP is a mixed bag of stuff. There's something okay. some good things in it. Like so, it does anchoring. Um, it does. Um, uh, uh, there are a number of things that are in the in the science world of neuroscience that it pulls on, but there are a number of things that that are not uh, that are really old science. Uh, or and, and it's been disproven that it, that's the way it works, or it's pseudoscience. If you type pseudoscience in NLP, it comes up a lot. Oh wow! Because if you so I, so I did the history. I don't know if you know the history of NLP. It's these two guys who wanted to write a book. Yeah. Right, Dave something and whatever. The, and they took, they basically observed some psychologists and extrapolated from what they saw to this thing, which is never a good idea. Yeah. Um. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the Neuroleadership Institute, where they're much more scientifically based. They do research uh, and they say, how did that happen? As opposed to, you know, extrapolating from a non-scientific perspective. So, yeah, I'm not I don't think it's terrible. I don't think it's wrong. Yeah. There are so many things in it that aren't right. How do you know which things are, are working, which things are not? You know, I sort of say like a horoscope, right? People love, or, or, or astrology, people love astrology because if someone says, oh, you're a Libra, so that means you're this, this, and this, you'll absolutely find instances where you are that person. Yeah. And again, you're anchoring them in that and they won't think of anything else. So they're like, oh, that's that's what I, that's what a Libra is. I'm like, well, no, because sometimes you're not that way at all. Yeah. You know, we're, we're many different people inside ourselves, depending on who we're with, what we're doing, how we're feeling, are we hungry, are we tired? We're not one thing. Um, that is categorized. So that's, I don't think it's good to categorize humans and NLP is a bit of manipulative thing, which is the whole, you know, the, the, you know, plant words and stuff. It's just a manipulative way of getting people to think a certain way. Mm. Uh, it's, it's like someone who's really good. At, it's, it's, it's not a con job, but it, it's sort of like a con job. If you keep saying something to someone that they'll never be able to think anything other than that, but it doesn't mean that they're going to stay there. Mm. This means for that moment, 
you've got them to do something else. And I know Tony Robbins loves it and all these guys love it. Um, I don't think it's terrible. I just think there are better ways. Do you, so the, the platform that you talked about, right? Mm -hmm. How has, because it sounds like that's constantly evolving the platform that you're talking about. Now, yeah. how has that changed from when you originally learned about that platform compared to it, how it is today? Yeah, so they're, they've been around for 20 something years in Neuroleadership Institute, they're out of New York. Um, and I've only been doing it about four or five. What they've learned is a ton of things. They've learned, and by the way, if you if you look at David Rock and NLP, he's totally he totally is against NLP, and he's the head of of New Leadership Institute. Um, uh, we use they, they've come to a, a, a difference on feedback is that you know there's a a, a movement or or a, a, a belief that feedback is super important. You have to give feedback, and they've realized you don't. Uh, actually, you should find every other way to help someone grow other than feedback because the brain hates feedback. The brain rejects, the first reaction of the brain is to reject new and feedback is generally new or, or it, it goes against the belief of someone. And if, and if our beliefs are challenged, we're going to find lots of different ways, even irrational ways to defend our beliefs. Um, and feedback, one, it's always done, it's almost always done wrong or poorly. Um, so, so as for an example, um, it, let's say we're you and I are in a meeting, and you're running the meeting, and I'm uh, I'm running the meeting. You're my boss, and the meeting's over, and you know you weren't completely happy with the way the, the meeting went, and you wanted to give me some feedback. What happens often is you'll tap me on the shoulder, and you'll say, "Hey, Bill, I got some feedback for you on the meeting. Can you follow me back to my office?" Now, what happens to me, right then and there, right? My I'm like, oh no. What did I do wrong? What are people going to think about me? And I'm following you back and I'm catastrophizing as I follow you back to your office, which is a status symbol, as you sit behind your desk, which is another status symbol. And then by the time I sit in front of you, my brain is in full threat mode. You know, because I'm thinking, oh my God, am I going to get fired? Is something going to happen to me? Is my reputation going to be dinged? If I get fired, am I going to am I going to be able to send the kids to college? Am I going to go on a vacation? What's my wife going to think? So I'm not listening to you. When you start telling me whatever it is you're telling me, I'm not paying attention. And I won't remember most of what you said. Now, what you could have said is you could have sat down next to me and said, hey, Bill, how do you think that meeting went? And I said, you know, if, unless I'm delusional, I might say, yeah, it went okay. And there were parts of it that were a little sketchy or whatever. And he said, you know what? I sort of felt the same thing. Let's do this. Let's work together. And so put a coffee or lunch on my calendar. And what I'd like to do is let's meet. And I would like you to bring three things to that meeting that you thought went really well that we should do more of or even get better at. I'd like you to bring one or two things in the meeting that, that you thought could have gone better. I will do the same thing and we'll work together until you and I agree that this is the best possible version of this meeting. Hmm. Now, I didn't give you any feedback at all. I didn't tell you what to do. I didn't tell you what to say. I didn't tell you what to do next time. So I'm not in threat mode anymore. I'm now actually accepting what you did. I have autonomy. I, have, I know what's going to happen. Um, there's no, like the, the I minim, I minimize the status thing by sitting next to you, not bringing you back to my office, all that kind of stuff. So that's what, uh, and that's the, called the scarf model by NL, by NLI or neuro leadership Institute, which is our brain is typically doing two things. It's either moving towards reward or away from threat. Mm -hmm. And your job as a leader is to always move them towards, for, towards reward and away from threat. And, and it, they say that there are five things that your brain is looking at all the time, which is status certainty autonomy, relatedness, and fairness, which is SCARF. Uh, and if you can, if you can, as you saw the second time, th there wasn't a status thing. I gave you certainty. I gave you autonomy. There was also some relatedness. Relatedness is, am I in the in-group or the out-group? 
right? When I tapped you on the shoulder and told you to follow me, I immediately put you in the out group, right? And I didn't do that the other time. And then I think we have a fairness gene. I think, you know, that all human beings have some fairness gene, which is because we'll even work against our own best interest if we think something isn't fair, right? Hmm. Yeah. You know, and there's a game called the ultimatum game, which, which has proven that over and over again, uh, which is about giving money and things. Uh, and it shows that 60 to 70% of the time, people will actually give up free money if they didn't think it was enough. They didn't think it was a fair amount, which isn't, which is ridiculous. Cause you showed up with no money. You got extra money. And even if you got a dollar, it was more than you had going in and people will reject it. It was like th three bucks or less. 70% of the time they rejected the money because they, they, uh, when you reject the money in the game, neither party gets it. So they're like, you know, if you're not going to give me enough money, you're not going to get any money either. Screw you. But that, and that's what we do. It's like pretty funny. It's pretty irrational, but it's who we are. Now, so you, you built the companies over time. When did the idea of coaching come about? Uh, between start of five and six, I, I got a, I was in a situation where I was leading a, an organization that had just had a catastrophic failure. And it was an email hosting company before Gmail, before um, Office 365 were really a thing. It was actually the precursor to Office 365. And um, our techn technical infrastructure collapsed on itself. So we really didn't deliver email for about two and a half days. And I got to tell you, people were not happy. <laughs> you don't get email or when you want it in two and a half days, you're pretty unhappy. So I lost a thousand customers and and I had uh, I just taken over. It was my first day, first official day as GM of the, of the division. It was about an eight or nine million dollar division, about an 80, 80 to 90 million dollar company. Um, and so they, the, the big company went and fixed the technical problem. But it took it took a while, it took days to really sort of write it and then weeks to make it so it was better. Uh, and I had 60 people in, in the group uh, who were getting yelled at every day uh, for weeks. Uh, I had one guy threaten to, sh to, he said, I'm going to get all my friends and call your customer support and just basically sort of a, do a denial of service to your customer service. So the lines will be clogged. I'm like, I said, you could do that if you want, but please don't. He, he never did, but that's how mad people were. Um, and uh, so what happened was I had, I had a couple of really young, not young, inexperienced managers. They weren't young, but they just hadn't really managed a, a ton before. And I said, look, I just took over. One, I don't know how to run a technical infrastructure. I've never run customer service before, and I have no finance background. I'm a sales marketing guy. So I can't really tell you what to do. I said, but I can tell you what I think we should look like when we're out of this. Like, here's the vision of, of when we're done and, and we're working well. So let's discuss, debate, and decide that thing. Let's, let's do that. And once we do that, I need each of you to draw your roadmap from where you are today to get to where each of you needs to be in order for us to do that, to realize that vision and tell me what I can do to help. And then we'll meet every week as a group and just keep figuring it out. Um, and uh, we doubled the size of the business. Uh, it doubled after I left, but we were uh, we, we got to $14 million. I think we dropped down to about seven. We went up to about 14, about six months after I left. Um, I didn't lose, we didn't lose one employee. Uh, we um, increased the average order size. So you can see this on my LinkedIn. A lot of the stats were, were great, but the best part, was those two new guys both said almost the same thing to me, which is, I just want you to know that the thing that you made me do, drawing that roadmap from here to there, uh, instead of telling me what to do, they said, I hated it. It was really, really hard. Hmm. But I'm so glad you made me do it because now I know how to do it. I can, I can take that and I can taught them how to fish, right? Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I said, I want that again. I still did four other startups. But I kept that in the back of my mind. And when I, about five or six years ago, when I was trying to think, do I want to do another one? What do I want to do? I said, I want to try to figure out how to do that. 
And, and that's when I started doing coaching. So it was a, a, a seed that was planted in 2009, 2010, but I didn't really water it, if you will, until 2015. The, the, the mindset of, of coaching, the stuff that you've picked up and, and learned about, was that picking that up and learning that to be a, a manager for the startups? Or was it with the intention of you just getting, I guess, just better at who you are? Yeah, so it was two things. One is I had two or three really good CEOs and I paid attention and, and I got to ask them a lot of questions and I sort of stole stuff from them. Uh, but then I also, I um, there are 23 or 24 different business operating systems that I found so far out there. Uh, and so I picked one that I liked the most, that connected with me the most, which was called Scaling Up or Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. So I started there and I got trained in that. Um, but I'm a learner. I'm, I read 40 to 60 books a year and I'm always trying to improve things. And I found that there was some weak, I, I thought there were weaknesses in, in some of it. So I then started to add some other things. And so it's most mostly what I do now is scaling up. I do a little bit of EOS, um, which is another one. And then I do this thing called three hag, which kind of sits on top, which really is focused on strategy. And then I weave in all this neuroscience stuff that I know for the people side of things to help my folks. So it, it's mine, but it's mostly other people's that I've sort of cobbled you take together. The good nuggets of each little thing, and yeah. kind of, I'm, I'm a no, curator. They call it curation. <laughs> now, when you, when you you can also call it theft. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you started your your coaching business, what was that process like? How were you getting your clients? Were you? Oh, it sucked. It sucked because <laughs> uh, I started from nothing, and uh, it was really hard to get first clients. I gave away a lot of my time. Uh, and I and I did a lot of things. I did a lot of coaching for free at the beginning just to kind of get better at it because I'm a much better coach now. Five years later, I look back. I was like, I was terrible. You know, I didn't know stuff. I would say some things that were wrong. I would I would get things wrong because it was so much information I had. Um, and then uh, I got lucky. I got, you know, someone called me up and said, hey, I saw you on a website and I got my first client. Uh, and then I actually got some partners. The thing that really got me is I had some partners and I did speaking. So I joined Vistage International, which is a peer-to-peer -peer advisory company. I also speak to EO groups and YPO groups. And I said, those are the people that I want, right? I want humble, hungry learners that are comfortable challenging the status quo. And that's the, the kind of person I wanted. And so I'm like, where would they be? And they would join places like Vistage or EO or YPO or, or those kinds of things. Um, and I also uh, work with partners who would then attract those people. So most of many of my partners are my salespeople and they actually sell my stuff and I give them a little bit. Uh, so that's sort of how I got my clients. Um, and I don't, what's great about my business is I don't need that many clients. I really only need two clients to make a decent living. Uh, and if I get two clients, uh, I work 18 days a year. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so uh, somewhere between five, eight and 12 is what I want uh, for clients. I actually have four right now. I, if COVID didn't happen, I'd probably have about seven or eight, but two of my clients got hit really, really hard and neither of them has come back. Uh, a third is starting to come back and she's going to start working with me again. Um, so COVID really, really nailed my business for a few months. So I was really happy with, I took those PPP loans and, and put them to good use. <laughs> What do you do with with all your free time? A person that's built these startups, I'm yeah. assuming you put a lot of time and effort in those. I things. <laughs> oh, I, I like this version better. Because, um, uh, yeah, I worked 15, 16 hours a day most days. You know, even if you're not in the office, you're thinking about stuff. And you. so uh, there was a lot of being sort of absorbed by startups. Um, uh, so I read a ton. 
um, to be honest with you, I, I, I volunteer a lot and I spend a lot of time. I live in this beautiful town called Concord, Massachusetts. Uh, I live a mile. So I, I walk into town almost every day and I'll, I'll read a book um, or I'll just do puzzles or things just keep my mind active. Um, and I do some mentoring on the side uh, as well. I have three or four people who just I've met and I don't charge them. They just, I said, you know, if you want to call me, go ahead. And you know, they'll call me maybe five, six, seven times a year. I also do some very deliberate mentoring through organizations as well. Um, so, you know, I just, I, I try to give back. Uh, I also want to do some more speaking. I, I enjoy speaking, even though I'm an introvert, uh, I enjoy, you know, sharing and helping people. And I usually don't speak like didactically where I'm just sort of spilling stuff out. I usually do sort of a workshop thing. Uh, I've done a lot of it online. Um, or if, if I can't do a workshop, I'll at least try to make it interactive. I'll, I'll try to get the, the audience engaged pretty early. And, and you can tell because people lean forward in their seats a little bit more and you can see them more engaged. The questions are better. So that, that's what I like doing. I like doing sort of more of a workshop kind of speaking thing. So I'll do more of that. If let's say someone's listening right now and they kind of want to start their own business, they're looking to grow their platform. And I mean, they're listening to you right now and they go, oh my gosh, Bills has been part of all these different uh, startups. What mm. piece of advice, is there a piece of advice that you provide to them? Yes. So I, I always say the same thing, which is don't fall in love with your idea. Uh, there are two things that happen. We already talked about anchoring and something called confirmation bias. Uh, when you fall in love with your idea, you have confirmation bias, which is you 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 constantly look for reasons to validate your, your idea, which you don't want to do. You want to apply the scientific method, which is you want to take your idea, which is basically a hypothesis. It's a guess. And you want to try to disprove it. If you cannot disprove it, then you're probably solving a problem worth solving. That's what you're looking for. You're looking to try to solve a problem worth solving, right? Ways to solve the problem worth solving. Southwest, 50 years ago, solved the problem worth solving. They, they tried to get the people that were riding Greyhound buses and have them take the plane, and they figured it out. You know, McDonald's in the 50s solved the problem worth solving. They found a way to make a hamburger and do whatever for about half the cost of what it was in a cafe, and people were looking for that. Some people couldn't afford, actually, to go to a cafe and do that, so they, they found an audience. And if you go for, you know, Dyson solved the problem worth solving, the guys that do the $250 thermostat, right, they found a, a problem worth solving. Apple's, you know, Steve Jobs didn't go and say, how do I make a better Walkman? He said, why do you have that thing? What is purpose is it serving for you? Where is it letting you down? And then he interviewed people like, like I was talking about, and he went back to his team and said, we need to make an MP3 player that fits a thousand songs in someone's pocket. So let's make that. That's a problem worth solving. Now, of course, they applied their amazingly simple and simple amazing, simply amazing model to it. So it was also beautiful and easy to use. But that's what you got to do. Solve a problem worth solving. Solve it for enough people who will pay you actual money for it. And then the last thing I always say if you're a startup guy is don't run out of money. Because it's it's it, you'll be in stress mode all the time, which which will, won't allow you to do the things I'm talking about. If you're in stress mode all the time, then you're 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 constantly just trying to make things happen. Uh, and that's usually a kiss of death. I think that's why only 10% of startups fail, at least according to most stats. 10% 10, 10 of startups make it. Is we fall in love with our idea instead of falling in love with the problem. Now, if someone's listening right now, Bill, what's the best way of them reaching out to you, following you, getting your book, getting more information from you? Sure. So uh, the only platform I'm really on a lot is LinkedIn. Um, but you, but I connect my Twitter to LinkedIn, so it's you know it's sort of I'm on that as well. Uh, but my 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 
Uh, my website is the best place to find me. You can my phone number is there, my email is there, everything is there. My book is on there. I'm actually I have two books, um, my book, and then I'm part of a co-author of another book. Uh, you can get you can get mine on there. Uh, you can also go to Amazon and and download and and buy it. You can actually download it for free from my site if you want. If you just want to read a PDF, you can download it for free. I'd rather get the message out than than get the money. And that website is catalystgrowthadvisors.com. You had it, I think, in the yeah, we have the show notes on the. Uh, cryon thing down there as well uh so that's the best way best place to find me perfect yeah so all the information all bill's information is in the show notes thank you bill for being here thank you man. it's i mean I, <laughs> I i love your 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 want to learn to to know more and i mean if you can just pick up anything from this right here it's just the idea i mean it started from one relationship he got the opportunity he basically did right. He listened to the right people. He read the book. He worked in the business, on the business, and kept growing, 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 growing. So take the journey, follow yeah. your path. And thank you again, Bill, for being here. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.